Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Coaches, today before we get started, I want to thank our sponsor, CoachPad. Uh, no matter if you draw scout cards by hand or use a program on your computer, CoachPad will give you back time by never stuffing a binder again before heading out to practice. First 13.3-inch electronic device allowing coaches to clearly display scout cards outdoors in the sun has been a game changer for programs this past fall and those currently playing all across the country. This new technology allows coaches to coach and not the monotonous task of stuffing and dealing with binders on the practice field. Check out the CoachPad and CoachPad Mini on thecoachpad.com. Please make sure you check out our sponsors, our affiliates, and here is another episode of the Gap Down Backer Podcast. And welcome back to another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast. Uh, today we have a fantastic guest. Um, he's the head strength and conditioning coach at Florida Atlantic University, uh, Joey Garasio. Uh, coach, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. No problem, coach. I'd like to say I've been able to follow you. I uh, kind of listened to, to I first saw you when I think you did a podcast with Tony Holler. I think it was the first time that I started following you. And I've seen a bunch of your stuff. Um, listen to you on a bunch of other podcasts. Um, but before we get into any of that, um, how'd you end up as the head strength conditioning coach at Florida Atlantic? Yeah, just like any strength coach, I was like that that average or below average athletic kid that really liked training. Um, you know, I remember when I was like 13, 14, I asked my mom, I was like, hey, I want to take weightlifting serious. Can you give me a book? She got me a Tudor Bompa's periodization book, which was like probably about 10 years advanced for me. Um, but you know, high school, I, I ended up playing linebacker. I had a few scholarships, went to junior college. I had to get my grades right. And I met Dos Remedios, who is, uh, was a strength coach at the time at College of the Canyons. Uh, he's, he's written a few books. Uh, for He's an author for um, men's health. Um, and I, I realized, like, I was like, you could do this for a profession where you train people and you could be part of football. And, and immediately that's what I wanted to do. And I didn't know how to do it yet. You know, I was in junior college. I, had to, I still wanted to play football. I still wanted to chase that. Uh, I ended up getting to the University of Sioux Falls, and I was extremely lucky and blessed to have two guys that were a year ahead of me that had the same dream and goals that I did, uh, Dom Sadinsky and Chad Traver. Um, Chad was two years older than me. He had already GA'd somewhere. He was at ULM at the time as a, as a graduate assistant, um, and Dom had just got done with an internship in Notre Dame for, with Notre Dame football. And they kind of just laid out what it was going to take, what the path looks like uh, to get to an assistant job. You know, and um, I played two years there, won a national championship with those guys, um, learned how, learned what winning ball was about. You know, I had my first year was uh, Kalen DeBoer, who's now the head football coach at University of Washington, was our head coach. And they just instilled pride. They instilled that culture. And I it just, you know, we were, I was on a very successful college at the Canyons uh, junior college team, but it just felt different. You know, it, it, and, you know, later on in my career, when we, we, won, we won the Sugar Bowl, we won 10 and three at Ole Miss. 
it's like I saw the, the reoccurring things that I saw when we won a national championship, and it just kind of hit home. Like, winning has a recipe. I don't care what level it is, right? Winning has a specific recipe. It has a specific feeling to it. Kids care more, right? There's more accountability within the team. You know, it's not coach-driven. It's player-driven. I still remember when, uh, you know, not, not one of my shiny moments, I, I was late to a meeting. And it wasn't a coach knocking on my door calling me. It was Dom. It was Dom knocking on my door, and he drove me drove me to the facility, made sure I got there. And then for an entire week, the linebackers made me carry their pads in, and we were on the far side of the field. So, you know, little things like that, that just, again, that were player-driven, that just really kind of made me see what it takes to win. And those guys made a huge impression on me, not just as a, as, as a football player, but as a person. Like, you know, because um, servant leader was something that was a major, a major aspect of our program. You know, we were there for each other. You know, we were there to help the community. We were there for each other. You know, and, and that's something that stuck with me. And, um, you know, from there, I went, I went and did an internship at Velocity my junior year under Derek Touche. Got to train some NFL guys that summer, went back, played my senior year. And then I, I did an internship actually at Florida Atlantic. And, you know, I was studying for the CSCS just like every young coach was. I was trying to get that done. Applied to about 60 jobs in the summertime. Nothing was hidden. You know, I was just crickets everywhere. And then all of a sudden I go and pass my test. And I reapplied and I had like 10 phone calls. So I was like, all right, I guess having a, those four letters makes you a better coach, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but I ended up going to, and, and applying and I got a job at Northwestern State under Joe Long, who was a former Tommy Moffat assistant, an LSU guy. And, you know, again, Dom had just got done with his internship at LSU and he was at Tulsa as a graduate assistant. And what he told me was flat out was, Get to LSU. I don't care how you get there. I don't care how you get connected. Get to LSU. Because if you if Coach Moffitt likes you, you sign, he signs off on you. He is the godfather of strength and condition. Okay. And he's like, he will make sure you get you get you get a job and but you gotta work for him. He ain't gonna give you nothing. Yeah. You know, and so I made sure I found, you know, I I I had to take the GRE. I found out I had to, so I found out on Monday I had to take the GRE. The next GRE was Tuesday. I took it. I got two points higher than what I was supposed to get into my master's courses. We were in the car. Uh, we were in the car on Thursday. Me and my my fiance at the time, who's now my wife for ten years, and um, we got up there probably Friday around like nine o'clock, and we pull in. First thing I had to do was serve the team dinner. They they were just getting into camp, and so we we served the team dinner, and then I went upstairs to Joe Long's office. He's like, all right. You have six sports, and they get here next Tuesday, start planning. And I was like, all right. So, you know, going off an internship to having six sports and assistant football, you know, I, I had to learn on the fly. I was thrown into the fire, and it's one of the, the, the things I'm most grateful in my career because practical experience is, is usually the best. And I failed a lot. I failed a lot. My first year, there was a lot of ups and downs, and I'm very, I'm very thankful for it because it helped me with the organizational side, it helped me with the communication process between a, a strength coach and other coaches and players and athletes. And, you know, it just, I think it really expedited my career. I think it took me from having a year of experience to having almost five in one year, yeah. you know, and it changed me. So I ended up finishing my course for my, for my graduate assistantship in, in about 10 months. And I wanted to get to LSU. I already had been down there a bunch of times observing. I met Coach Moffitt a bunch of times. I told Coach Ma, I said, Coach, I won't work for you. Because why don't I have any open spots? I said, Coach, I work for free. So uh, I signed off to an internship. I got done in May, drove my butt down there May 2nd. I was there about a week, and I got a phone call from, uh, from the AD at Northwestern State. And he says, hey, Joe Long just resigned. 
are you interested in interviewing for the head job? And I said, absolutely. And, you know, I knew that the Olympic sport coaches really liked me and they put my name in it and they were pushing hard for me. I didn't know, I know Coach Pivato, who was the head football coach at the time, liked me, but I didn't know how much, you know? Yeah. And I got a phone call from Coach Pivato and he's like, I'm pushing for you. So be ready, make sure you go kill this interview. So about two weeks later, I was the last one to interview. I went down there, I interviewed, uh, I interviewed on a Friday. I went back down to Baton Rouge on a Saturday. We were gearing up because our first day was actually that Monday. You know, didn't hear nothing Saturday. I'm like, I don't know if I got it. You know, uh, come Sunday, I think it was like six o'clock. I'm in Baton Rouge. It's about a two and a half hour drive. Six o'clock, I get a phone call from the AD. Hey, uh, we want to bring you on. This is your salary. What do you think? I said, Coach. Or I said, I said, excuse me. I'm working for free, so it sounds fantastic. <laughs> so, you know, so yeah. I, I called Coach Mob. I said, Coach Mob, I just got the head job. No the State. He said, Get your ass up there. And I was gone. Um, we started that Monday. So I get up there probably right around 10 o'clock. I call the two new GAs who I had never met that Coach Long hired. And I tell them, get your butts up here. We were up till about, about 2 to 3 o'clock in the morning, just in-servicing, going over, because I already had the plan written. I, you know, I was like, if I get it, I need to be able to hit the ground running. Yeah. About 3 o'clock, we get done doing in-service and talking about setup for the next day. I took about an hour and a half nap. 6 o'clock was the first run, and we were rolling. You know, I got married 10 days later, which was also fun. So it was a big year. <laughs> it was a big year for me, you know. And, um, again, you know, running an entire department, running three, four GAs, yeah. you know, learn, learning learning the aspect of the organization side, the organizational and the management side of it was key. Uh, again, I failed a ton. You know, I, I did a terrible job with my assistants. You know, I, I didn't do enough continuing education with them. Uh, I failed them on in-service. You know, and I was very young at the time, and that's not an excuse, you know. But, you know, it, it was – it was something that I always wrote down, and I said, when the opportunity comes again, I'm not going to fail in that in, in that respect. I'm not going to. I'm going to make sure that my staff camaraderie, the harmony of my staff, the continued education of my staff, that I'm pushing guys for other jobs, that I'm elevating my staff, I'm empowering them. Um, you know, so I was there for two and a half years, uh, um, and then I got a call. I actually interviewed with Paul Jackson about a year and a half to my being a head strength coach at Northwestern State. I interviewed with Paul Jackson, Ole Miss in person. I thought it went extremely well. And then I didn't hear anything. You know, you think you do something really well. You just didn't hear anything. And then he went a different way. And uh, we played that season. I ended up that season. Then I get a call. I think it had to be like the day after New Year's. And he says, you know, he goes, he goes, he goes, what's up? This is Coach Jack. I go, hey, what's going on, Coach Jack? And he's just like, you in the truck? I go to where? He goes, to Oxford. I said, I am now. <laughs> and it was that. That was it. That was the end of it. I was, you know, I, I, I resigned from there. I spent four years at Ole Miss. I got to learn from one of the best strength coaches that I've ever I've ever seen or worked for um, in Paul Jackson. Uh, it was an unbelievable experience. Again, I got to work with Dom, the guy I played with, which was another great experience because he really challenged me and pushed me to yeah. be a better assistant, you know, and he held me accountable. And that was the biggest thing. Like, he, he, you know, if, if something wasn't right, Dom made sure it was right, you know, and learning from Coach Jack when it comes to speed and agility, you know, I felt very confident at that time in, in coaching the weight room, right? Because I, I trained under Gail Hatch, um, you know, and I just felt comfortable in there. But I always was uncomfortable teaching speed and agility training. Like, I had to program it, uh, what's important, the, the technical side. And, you know, going there, it was like a master class because that's what he was known for. That was what he was known for. When it was either it was planning it, programming it, teaching it, coaching it, you know, and I just remember it like, we did in-service and we did it for like three days and I had 
probably almost 30 pages of notes. I was blown away. I was like, I'm glad I made this decision. This is one of the best decisions I've ever made. Uh, you know, we had a great run. Um, and then I ended up taking a job at Colorado State for a year as an associate head strength coach under Ryan Davis. Uh, Ryan ended up going to Maryland. I ended up getting the call up. And, you know, Bobo, who was the head coach at the time, Mike Bobo, who's now at Georgia, goes, hey, I want you to be the interim guy. He goes, I'm not interviewing anybody because I think you're the right guy for the job. Now make me right. I said, yes, sir. He goes, I'm going to give you a three-week period. Seven days later, he gave me the job. Yeah. And I was, I was rolling, you know, and I uh, spent a year there and then had an opportunity to stay. I was retained under Steve Adazio, which I was extremely grateful for, um, you know, and but Coach Tiger called me down here. And I always said, if I could ever get back to Florida, man, that's where I need to be, just the athletes, the environment. Um, and I've been here three years now. Uh, this is going into going into our third year. And like I said, you know, we're, we're, we're having a great summer. We have a great, great group of guys. I really enjoy our coaching staff. Um, we have an elite coaching staff for at any level, you know, and uh, it's been a fun ride. It's been a, it's been crazy, but it's been fun. Now you mentioned a lot there that I'm going to kind of hit on, but first thing I want to hit on is, is the organization and, and planning part, because I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. Obviously you have any given time, probably a hundred football kids, just, just looking at football only, like you, roughly 100 counting the 85 scholarship plus how many, God knows how many walk-ons you probably, I mean, it just probably exceeds 100, but I'm just throwing the number out there. And then the planning part, like I said, planning, I mean, obviously you do a little bit more than we do at the high school level. You can get a little more individualistic just because of your resources and staffing and so forth. Typically at high school, it's either the head football coach like myself doing it, or we might have one strength guy. Um and at the same time, I think we both kind of suffer from a similar problem. Our weather's kind of erratic. I mean, we've had two uh, two tornadoes go through our area in about the past two weeks. And you got hurricanes and just random rainstorms that fly everywhere that mess up your stuff. So when, when you're looking at organizing and planning, one, how does that process work for you? And two, how far ahead do you try to stay? And, and do you always – and then how many – contingency plans do you kind of try to put together because again your weather is kind of erratic kind of like ours yeah so I think the first thing that, that, that I do is I look at like you said resources like what from an application standpoint like a ground up standpoint what can we get done right if I say hey I want to do sled pulls but then we only have two sleds and we have 115 kids out there that's not going to happen yeah. so you've got to understand your resources so that's the first thing I look at you know and then I look at okay like you said you got to my thing's weather. So we run in the morning and we lift in the morning and a lot, and we practice in the morning as well. So it kind of it follows suit. But the reason that is, is because we have to beat the afternoon storms about three 30 every day. We get lightning, we get thunder and we get rain. Okay. And if I were to do afternoon, any, any event in the afternoon, I'm getting rained out every time, you know? So we're very lucky that this summer, knock on wood and hopefully it doesn't happen on Monday, but we haven't been rained out. We haven't been stormed out because of that, because we're getting our runs done roughly before about 12 o'clock. Yeah. Um, so, you know, navigating the weather is extremely important. I think understanding ground up resource equipment wise. Um, I think flow of workout is underrated. I think people need to look at flow of workout. How do, how do you set your workout up to where there's, there's minimal downtime, not, not rest, but minimal downtime, like where there's setup, right? Like I don't want kids seeing us set up one drill to set up another drill. How can you set the field up in a way preemptively to where the, the workout could just flow from drill to drill, right? So you're more worried about instruction and coaching than you are set up. 
you know, so and that, and that goes back to, you know, personnel, you know, how much personnel do you have? How much personnel can you utilize? What, what can your personnel carry out? I think that's another thing too, is you have to know your people. Okay. I wouldn't give a drill just to anybody. You know, I got to make sure that, okay, you know, this person can coach this drill really well. This person is more suited for this drill. This person is more suited for this. And you have to set them up for success because I think that's extremely important. You know, because a lot of the a lot of buying comes back to comprehension, and comprehension comes to can can a coach execute and teach a drill at, a, at an extremely high level. So we want to make sure that I have my people set up in the right areas. I got them with the right groups. There's some there's some of my assistants that do really well with our big guys, and there's some of my assistants that do really well with our linebackers. And if I flop it, not that they do a bad job, but it just seems to be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so to me, you got to know your personnel. You got to set them up for success. Um, you know, and then as far as how far out, I like to go in four week blocks. You know, right now we're doing three week blocks just because we're at three weeks, two weeks off week, and then three weeks to finish the summer. But what I'll do is I'll plan three weeks because what I'll put the I have the whole plan penciled in in my head, right? And there's a rough sketch that I have for the entire yeah. summer, but. I have three weeks that is cemented in. And then what I want to do is, is I want to, we do a really good job here of auditing our own program as we go, right? We have a lot of resources. We have VBT, we have time and gates, we have uh, GPS, we have all these things. And I have a full-time sports scientist on my staff. And what we do is, is every three weeks, we see where we're at. And I, I don't want to just say, hey, yeah, we're doing great. No, what I want to do is, is I want to say, okay, hey, we're lacking here. This position group, it seems to be lacking in these areas. Right. Or they're trending down in this specific ability. And I want to make sure that because, like, you know, people think we have all this time to train. I got eight weeks in the summer. OK, I, I've only had 17 weeks uninterrupted the entire offseason. Right. So it's not a ton of time to train. Right? People think yeah. you have. Oh, yeah, you got 30 weeks to train for the season. You don't. You don't. That's a that's a fallacy. Right. Because you got spring ball. You got doubt. You got voluntary periods where you can't mandate things. You got a whole bunch of things going on. OK, you got holidays, all these different things. So. For me, it's like I don't want to waste time, and I want to be proactive versus reactive. So as soon as I, I get word from my sports scientist, his name's Chad Harry, and he does a fantastic job for us. As soon as I get word, hey, we do debriefs hey, at the end of every Friday, and we look at how we're trending. What's you know, if it was a high volume week, we're trending a little bit down in our jumps and our sprints. That's expected, right? Like okay, yeah, we get that. But if it's something where it's significant, we're going to make changes. I'm not one of those guys that where I write it on paper and it's it's in stone. It is what it is. No, like we're going to be adaptive, okay? Because everyone doesn't respond to training the same way, All right? And again, I want to maximize my time. That's the biggest thing. I want to maximize my time. I want to make sure that we're getting the best product that we can and the best training for these guys because I have limited time. So I'll go three weeks. I'll reevaluate. I'll have my three weeks that I, that I wrote down. And it might change. It might change a little bit. It might change significantly. And I'll move forward that way. And then once we get in season, it's week to week. It's week to week because of travel, because of stress, because of finals, because of whatever it might be. But in the off season, about four to four, four weeks to three weeks is what I'm looking at is, is, is how I'm evaluating. Okay. Now, next thing I want – now, as you're planning, because I'm curious, like I said, I don't pretend to – be have a master's or anything in sport exercise science i'm going off of 11 years of experience as a football coach and playing high school football that's and then listening to other people and trial and error and stuff and doing research but when you're look I, like because i my at least from my audience perspective my 
um, how do I want to wear this? My introduction to you, like I said, is Tony Holler and the stuff he shared with you done and then following you on Twitter and then all the stuff that you've shown there, speed development. When you're planning out your speed development, how do you focus on, okay, we're, it's a speed day here. These are the lifts I'm going to pair with it today. This is a conditioning or a support day. This is what I'm going to pair with it today. How do you go about that process? What would you suggest, particularly to high school coaches who maybe have limited resources or are trying to find that balance? Because I think the philosophy of high school strength conditioning is changing mm-hmm. massively. Like I look across the board on, especially just like Twitter, people are moving towards the feed the cats or the high speed and agility, a lot more jumping, a lot more functional movements than they were 10, 15 years ago, where it's all deadlift, heavy squat, and not much, and it's like full gassers, like all, and that's your running. Yeah, so I think, you know, like you said, I've seen the trend changing as well. You know, I, there's, there's, there's a bunch of great high school strength. There's a, there's a ton of great high school strength coaches out there, and, it's, and it's, it's fun to see it changing in high school as well in college. I think what we have to understand is, is there's a difference between stress, you know, of a given exercise, right? You know, I do a calf raise, I'm sore on my calf. If I go do depth jumps, my central nervous system, my, my elastic properties and my muscles are fatigued and, and for up to 72 hours. So I think it's just having a general knowledge and understanding of how the body responds to training and what, what how, and, and how you classify, okay, more of that Charlie Francis high-low model of what is going to drain the athlete from a neural standpoint, meaning significance and intense, right? Because if it's intense, it's going to take some time to recover from, and you can't do a ton of them, kind of like the feed the cats model, right? Like if you're going to sprint, you don't need to do a ton of them, and then you need to recover from them. Like I just listened to that podcast with Tony Holler this morning, actually, and, you know, he hit on rest, rest, rest. Well, people have to understand, and I think you're starting to see the shift is, you don't get stronger actually lifting the weights at that given time. You get stronger from recovering from that training over a given time period. And there's guidelines for these recovery rates, right? We have all these different, these different uh, systems in our body, and they all react to training differently. And they all have different recovery curves, okay? And what we have to do is we have to understand those recovery those recovery curves, and there has to be compatibility in your week. And that's something that Bruce Shex Snyder, who really hit that home for me about in 2015, I saw him talking in North Carolina at a clinic. And he said, your week has to have a certain flow to it where it feeds the week. Mm-hmm. Day after day, it's feeding the next day, right? So I wouldn't go out there, do a ton of, ton of high-intensity sprints, come in the weight room, pair it with some explosive lifting and maybe some heavy lifting, and do the same thing the next day because that's going to put a kid in a hole that he can't come out of from a recovery standpoint. You know, I look at it like this. I ask coaches all the time. I said, would you max out every day? No. So then why, why would you pair a hard thing day after day after day without any recovery? Okay, because that's where we're going to grow. That's where we're going to get better. Okay, that's where the adaptation actually takes hold is in those recovery periods. So just having that general guideline of, okay, when we do something significant from a neural standpoint, from a central nervous system standpoint, whether it's Olympic lifting, whether it's plyometrics, where it's sprinting, okay, you're going to need 72 hours before you hit it hard again with those that, that exercise classification. I'm going to give 72 hours. That's why our hardest days from a neural standpoint, similar to what Charlie Francis model is, that high-low is, is Monday and Thursday. 
Okay, those are our performance days. That's what we call them. All right, and then because we allow that time in between, that doesn't mean you can't do anything between those seventy-two hours. Yeah, you just got to make sure that you're not hitting that same bucket again because that bucket's full. All right, and so for us, when we go to the support days, I look at things. Okay, what are lower? What are lower on that on that continuum of intensity? Okay, you know I'm going to get killed by the powerlifting community, but like bench press is lower on the continuum for yes. intensity. Uh, overhead press, a lot of the upper body stuff, auxiliary lower body stuff. Like if we do a side lunge with a kettlebell, that's lower on that level of intensity. Like that's a lower exercise. When I look at like uh, tempo runs or repeat sprint ability, even like that's lower on the, the side because they're not reaching high speeds. Normally it's not hard. Perfectly it's hard, right? Muscular fatigue, it's going to be higher, but that goes away and they recover fast from that. Okay. But from a neural standpoint, they're not getting completely destroyed and taxed, right? We've been, you've probably seen before, you do a ton of sprints, you do a ton of jumps, and the next day the kids are lethargic and they're uncoordinated. Yeah. You know, and you know, you're like, man, these kids are, you know, coached out, oh, they're out of shape, this and that. But we don't understand that they're just very, very fatigued. Their muscles, muscles might not be fatigued, right? Their quads and hamstrings, they might not be fatigued. But from a neural standpoint, that signal going to the muscle, getting into fire, those muscles communicating together, that's what's interrupted. That's what's slowed down that day. All right. And that's what we got to understand is is. When that happens over and over and over again, the impact is, is, is high. And that's where you see your immunity drop and kids get sick or you see catastrophic injuries like Achilles or, you know, hamstring issues or all these other things, right? Because then we also got to understand you want, when you do something that's extremely technical, you want them to be fresh because you want the movement, okay, to, to fit in a certain bandwidth that's safe and uh, produces a good output. Okay, if they're fatigued, it's going to be sloppy. If it's sloppy, there's a higher chance for injury. Okay, compensation patterns, all those different things that go into that. So we have to understand, we have to understand biological process. Not that you have to have a master's degree in it or anything like that, but you understand, okay, we do a certain threshold of sprinting in a day, they're going to need a few days to recover from that before I go ahead and hit them with more sprints. All right, if we do a ton, a ton of Olympic lifts on a Monday, I got to know, all right, they're going to be a little bit messed up on Tuesday. I might not sprints and things that are very ballistic and high intense on those days so it's just that balancing act of cycling between high intensity low intensity high intensity low intensity and that has to come back to coaches creating classifications and exercise menus if you classify your exercises as all right this is a high stress this is a low stress it becomes very easy and plug and play you know because you could you could check yourself and that's a lot of what we have to do is we have to check ourselves That, that's fantastic, Coach. Like I said, I got half a page of notes just off of that. Um, the other thing I want to hit on, continuing with the lifting part, and I, again, I, I, I'm not going to pretend to know, know everything or pay attention to every coach, but I see you do a lot of banded and isometric-related lifting. Um, I, again, the banded, I, I kind of understand. The isometric, I'm not as familiar with. Just I've never been in a program that really does it. But why do you do so much of both of those? Because I see I see a lot of, lot of banded, I think, squats for you, a lot of isometric holds. Why is that a focus of your – I've heard you speak about it a little bit, but just for people who have not maybe heard it, why is that, especially the section you focus on in, in certain days? So we put a huge premium on eccentric strength. Okay, so Caldez and Triphasic, you know, they hit the market probably, I think, over 10 years ago now, and – it erupted, right? Everyone was, we're going to do eccentric, isometric, concentric. And 
people started seeing really good results, specifically in change of direction and, and just any any athletic movement that required a, a stretch reflex. Okay. And for us, what I looked at, I was like, what's our missing piece? All right. I thought we did a fantastic job creating concentric power and rate of force development. I thought we did a great job with that, right? We're Olympic lifts with all of our sprinting and all these things. And again, I like to challenge myself. I like to challenge my staff. I said, what are we missing? There's something we're missing. I'm telling you, there's something we're missing. And it was deacceleration strength. Okay. And there's a ton of research. Damian Harper, who's in England right now, um, I can't tell you what university he's at in England, but uh, I've spoken with him many times. And he's, he's put out a ton of research on deacceleration strength and the importance of it and the effect it has on not only being able to stop and change direction, but the effect it has on speed in general and robustness of athletes. So, we got and we looked at our program and we figured out there's a deficit there. We're very concentrically based, meaning everything's all oh, explosive, explosive, explosive. But where's the breaking? Where's the stop? Okay, and that's a huge component of sport. You think about change of direction, any sport in general, it's a, every sport for the most part is stop and go, except track. Yeah. And even track at the end of 100 meters, they have to accelerate. So we found that. We need to train this. Well, then it's like, okay, well, how do you train? What are the aspects that go into it? So, and that's kind of where we went down a rabbit hole. Um, you know, we, we found accentuated eccentric loading, which is you've probably seen us do like the safety bar squats with the bands, with our hands off going down and then coming back up. That's accentuated eccentric loading, meaning that lowering portion of the lift is super maximal to what they would be able to actually just squat if they were just normally squatting. So overloading that eccentric action, um, you know, the, with the isometrics, we take for granted how many times our athletes isometrically contract on the football field or whatever sport they may be in. You know, think about an old lineman and a D lineman when they first collide. There is a moment where it's paused. Those are isometric. If I have, a, if I'm an old lineman, I pass set, and you come speed to power, and I stop you, and I'm yielding. That's an isometric action. Okay, so we just looked at okay, what are we missing? What occurs in the game? What kind of contractions are we not attacking? All right, what abilities are we missing? And what we found was is we started training eccentrically and our jumps went through the roof and our sprint times went through the roof. Well, why? We're strengthening the rubber band on both sides. All right, now, yeah, we're more powerful concentrically, but that rubber band now because of all that eccentric training is now thicker and can lengthen further and snap back further. And that was a huge thing for me because, you know, we all love strength training. I, I mean, I'll be the first one to put a big clean on Twitter or, you know, highlight a big – I love it, right? I'm a media. I'm a former Olympic lifter. I got a Gail Hatch picture sitting on my, on my my door right here in my office, right? I love it. But strength only goes so far in sport. We have – because you have to understand, sport is governed by time, meaning that there's a time limit to every sport movement and event, okay? I'll use my O-lineman. We went and we, we, we slow-mode O-lineman kick sliding. And what we found was – that their average, their average one kick slide was about anywhere between 250 milliseconds to 350 milliseconds. Okay, that is a fast action. That is not a squat. And what we have to understand is maximal strength doesn't really start the kicking until 500 milliseconds. So what's that gap? That gap is going to be, again, that plyometric training, that speed training, all those things, strengthening that, that, that stretch shortening cycle. Okay, because we're going to have to be more reliant on those processes to accomplish those movements 
than we are just max strength because it's too slow. Right? A, me squatting 500 pounds is too slow. That It would take me, I think we, we found our average squat down to up maximally above 85% was anywhere between a second to a second and a half to accomplish. Okay, second to a second and a half. All right, majority of sports movements, what we found is when we, we recorded all these movements and we broke them down from a time perspective on Darkfish, was majority of sport movements happen 500 milliseconds or below. So my max strength doesn't kick in until 500 milliseconds. And I'm saying max strength is everything. Max strength is everything. Max strength is everything. I'm not able to use it. I'm not even able to tap it. Okay. Because I'm, it's too fast. The movement is too fast. The sport movement itself is too fast. So how do I turn around and create force in those brackets? And that's where that stretch shortening cycle, the ability to go from E said that stretch to work more with my, my, my tendons and make my muscles work more as rubber bands versus just outright contractile force. And that's what we found. And that's what we found with our eccentric training, with our deacceleration. Like we, we tested our pro agility, right? I, I like testing pro agility. I know some people don't like testing pro agility. It is a good change of direction measurement, yeah. right? And after six months of deacceleration training, eccentric emphasis, like our pro agility times dropped dramatically. I mean, it was ridiculous. Like to the point where I don't even want to tell you because people are like, all right, BS, you're just, you're bragging. Like, I, but, but like, you know, and, and then what I saw, and this is another thing, right? We talk about robustness of an athlete. Okay. If that rubber band is stronger, thicker, and can snap back better. Okay. That means that it, it, it's more durable. Yeah. Okay. We had no, no hamstring or soft tissue injuries in spring ball. Zero. Okay. I had one contact ACL. And the kid jumped on the other kid's back and tried to put his foot in the ground. I can't stop that. Yeah. All right. But you talk about coming out of spring ball with one surgery. Okay. Kids talking about, yeah, man, I feel really good coming out of my breaks. I feel really good. You know, my D linemen are talking about, yeah, I feel really good when I go speed of power or when I go ahead and try to give them a jab step. And you see it, they move better. They're more forceful. They're more forceful. And that's what I saw. I was like, all right, this is a huge piece of the pie that I was missing. And that we need to get in there. So again, when you see the bands and you see the isometric work, you know, those are things that I just feel like the, there, there needs to be eccentric and concentric training. There needs to be isometric work in your program. I love overcoming isometrics for intensity purposes. So you see like those mid thigh pulls where they're trying to pull that rack out of the ground. The other day we did, um, we did quarter squat, overcoming quarter squat where you're driving into the rack. And then what I really like is the yielding isometrics for the longer duration to help build up tendons and to really help with, with you know, everyone always talks about hypertrophy. Hypertrophy is just time on attention. Yeah. Right. So I'm able to get muscles of growth by guys doing holding split squats or holding a push up deep on, in a box or whatever it might be. I can have hold it for 45 seconds, do three sets, and they're done. And it, it also helps with lactate buffering capacity. You know, I heard I heard Tony talking about the acidity, the acidity, and, and talking about you know um, lactate training. Well, and you know is fast tempoed offenses, you start getting over six, seven plays. I don't care what anybody says. That's a lactic event. You know, and we're trying to be a no huddle offense. You're snapping the ball every 20 seconds. That's incomplete rest. Lactate will jump on them by six, seven plays. They have to be ready for it. They have to be prepared for it. And that's, again, that's where the isometrics also come into play or yielding isometrics where we're just holding a position for a certain uh, specific amount of time. Okay. Now, continuing on that, how, what, like, our dose and your dose, I mean, we have different level of athletes. I still have kids developing and they're massively developing their body and going through puberty. 
your kids are still developing, but again, the puberty is not as prevalent. What, I mean, our dosage is obviously going to be different just because we're different level of athlete, different type of where you are in your life. From a, from a high school perspective, how would you recommend high school coaches approaching that fate, the, the isometrics, the frequency for people who want to make, obviously they need to do research when they go into it, but just from the outlook, what would, what would your recommendations there be? I'll say just simplify. So with that stuff, right? So say you, you, you get your high school freshman, he's a brand new baby giraffe, right? He, he can barely walk. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's going through puberty by group three or four inches in six months and he's all over the place. All right, you could take something as simple as, okay, we're going to do a zombie squat where the bar just sits over your shoulder, your hands are up, and we're going to go five seconds down just with the bar. Okay, you can make it as simple as you need to for the athlete, right? The, the, the younger the athlete, the simpler the progression becomes or regression becomes. Okay, I think a lot of people, they want to get fancy and prove how smart they are. I'm guilty of it, okay? Just like any other coach. You want to, oh, I want to show everyone this fancy new exercise. Well, meanwhile... If all you did was a kettlebell deadlift with a five-second lowering, okay, with that athlete, that probably in that in that specific situation checks the box that you need. And then as the athlete progresses and you see better movement patterns, you see higher levels of strength and all those things, you just increase the progression and difficulty of the lift. And you can do that one or two ways. You can do it a, a variation of that lift. So if I go from a kettlebell to a deadlift, or I could do it with load. So instead of one kettlebell, now you have two. Yeah, I think you can keep it extremely simple. And still get it done uh, from an eccentric and isometric standpoint. Like I was, the beauty about isometrics is, is no one's getting hurt doing isometrics. There's, I mean, the muscles at a standstill. It's just, it's just contracting. It's not moving. Okay, so from that perspective, like you put them in. All right, we're gonna do wall sits. That's that's a super regressed version of an isometric, a yielding isometric. Okay, we're gonna start at two sets of thirty seconds, and then we're gonna go up to forty-five. Seconds. Now we're going to go three sets. Now we're going to go 20 seconds, but we're going to go one leg on the wall. You know, it's, it's, it's as long as you understand the concept of what you're trying to train, you just got to find what the simplest version is. I like, especially, and I think it's very applicable, not only to younger athletes, but also return to play. When you talk about uh, athletes returning from injury, I think that's a huge, uh, a huge component of that as well, is you have to know, okay, this is where I want to be. This is the end game. Okay, where's the start? Yeah. What's the most basic regressed version I look at? Find it. Okay, well, a wall sit. I do it with my guys coming off ACL. That's one of the first things we do. We do a wall sit for time. Okay, but I want to get to a essentially uh, eccentric loaded banded uh, split squat. That's what I want to get to. Yeah. Well, how, do I, how do I do that? And I think if you have your end game and you have where you need to start, okay, you can map that out and you can show that then you just go and progress it based off that app. Like I hate time, like I hate time limits. Like, yeah, you need to be in this phase for three weeks with this kid. You need to do goblet squats for three weeks. Well, what if he masters it after two workouts? Yeah. Okay. Are you gonna stun his progress and not put him on a bar? Because he could probably handle the bar. Not saying you need to put 315 on the bar and have a front squat right off the bat, but you could give him yeah. the ball if he's doing 95 pounds, that's a win. But I think if you have those the end the end game and the start point, I think as long as you understand the concept, it's it's pretty easy to go ahead and plan progressively. Because then what you're going to end up doing is you're going to create a framework, and then it's a plug and play system. Okay, I got all my freshmen coming in framework. Here we go, beginning. There you go. That's where you start. That's where we want to be. This is where you start. Okay, 
my freshman that comes in that maybe his dad was a strength coach and he's been trained, guess what? You're moving up two levels right off the bat. All right, you move good. You got the kid. Like I said, hip puberty grew six inches like I did my freshman year. Okay, you know what? You're going to stay in this, this level zero for a little bit longer. You're going to stay on this ground floor a little bit longer until you just start to – that movement competency increases. Then we can load it, all right? And now you can load it, you can move up, and that kid might take all the way till his junior year to get to the same level where that freshman who just from a training age or from a maturity standpoint is just further along. And he might be there his sophomore year or the end of his freshman year. You know, so I think – but if you create that framework, that's the critical piece that I think a lot of people miss, is if you create that framework, it's easy. Because then you just it's – it's one continuum. You know where to put them. All right, that kid's really bad. Put him in the beginning. That kid's really good right off the bat. You know what? Level two, let's roll. Yeah. You know? That's perfect, Coach. No, seriously. Now, I got I have four questions for you, um, and, then, and then we're good to go. First, first one, because you mentioned it earlier, and it really wasn't going to be one of my questions, um, but it triggered and had me thinking why, why we've been going is – you mentioned culture in the weight room earlier uh, while you were doing your, your background and so forth. How do you approach that? Obviously, there, there's two parts. There's, there's kind of what you need to have your room be functional as a strength and conditioning coach from a college standpoint. But then also you have your head coach's culture. And you got to mix those. Obviously, a lot of your weight room culture is going to be his culture. But how do you approach culture in your weight room, especially as you, as you get new guys – in the summer or even mid-year for your mid-year transfers or your early signees, how do you deal with the culture aspect of your weight room? I think there has to be uh, clear and defined standards for what you want. And what I mean by that is if I say, hey, we squat, we squat this way, this is how we squat. If, if we do a push-up this way, this is how we do a push-up. And I think you have to be unwavering in those standards. And I think that what you have to do is you have to get your staff to understand those standards better than anybody else. Mm -hmm. I think I think once you create those standards, and, and I tell our players all the time, you're not going to win with me. I'm the most stubborn person in the building. It's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. My wife tells me all the time, you're so you're, you're too damn stubborn. I go, I know. My players tell me that every day. Okay, and once they see the benefit of it, once they see that it's for their benefit, you get buying. I think also a, a miss a, a missed opportunity with, with a lot of coaches enthusiasm. I, I well, listen, they don't come here to lift weights. They didn't, they didn't sign a Florida Atlantic to come here and lift weights with me. They signed here to play football. But if I'm extremely enthusiastic and I create an environment which they want to be in, right, that's challenging. I'm not saying it, it's, it's, you know, the hugs and kisses all over the place, but that's extremely challenging, but it's fun from me blasting the music they like, you know, little dirt shaking my windows in here, okay, and celebrating when they do something really well. And having my, I told my staff all the time, the energy gives, the energy you get. So if you're a statue and you're not in, you know, like Coach Hashem, you say, in the eye of the storm coaching, okay, that's what you're going to get back. You're going to get that, uh, I really don't care that much. But if you show that you care a lot and you have a ton of energy and a ton of passion for what you do, and then you know what you're doing, okay, you know what you're doing, you know the techniques that you're trying to train. You have answers to their questions because these kids have questions nowadays. You know, they're on Instagram and Twitter just like we are, and they see all this crazy training out there. You have answers to their questions, and then you show them progress. The coach will take care of itself. Like, I'm at the point now where I've had kids for three years. I can be like, all right, grab your right ear and jump on one leg. It'll make you vertical jump higher. And because they've gotten, they've gotten results from the first three years, they'll do it on, like, without a question. 
yes, sir. I got you. Let's go. You know, so I think you, but you have to define those standards and you have to be extremely clear in what you want. I always make sure before we go out to runs, my assistants have clarity in how to teach drills and that it's, that it's the same all the way around because I don't want them to go out there and stumble through instructions and then they get on a kid because the kid did it wrong. But meanwhile, they taught it. wrong. Yeah. You know, because then again, it's, it's about, I never want the players to question that we don't know what we're doing ever, you know, whether it's set up, whether it's exercise selection, whatever it might be, because that's what they're going to see. They're going to, I don't want kids. I don't want, I don't want disbelief. I want belief. I want to, I want to cultivate belief through that enthusiasm, through clarity, through buying. Um, and that's where culture is, right? Culture is, culture is dynamic as well. Like we all say culture and we think, yeah, we got a great culture. Well, you might have had a great culture. Wait, I'll, I'll give you an example. We had a great culture Tuesday. Wednesday, we had a bunch of kids coming to get extra work. Our culture on Thursday was terrible. Okay, just we didn't have a good day. And that for that day, our culture wasn't bad, wasn't good. All right. And Friday, we responded and we had a great day. And our culture was fantastic. Guys were positive, encouraging, accountable to each other. Um, you know, and it's, it's again, it comes back to being stubborn. Like if you create those standards, if you have clarity instruction and and you have a vision for these kids, I think the culture, it's it's something you have to work at every day, but I think you'll have a positive culture. You'll get a culture that people want to be around. Now you got to be the example yourself. You have to be the example yourself. Right? I tell our kids, I want I want all y'all to work hard. And if they if if I say that to them and then I walk out of the building at one o'clock. Right. And they're all coming up here like, where's Coach Joey? I mean, I, I'm a hypocrite. They're not going to believe me. They're not going to buy what I'm saying. You know, but if I'm up here till five and I'm texting kids to come in and get, hey, come get extra mobility. Hey, come talk to me. Holler at me real quick. I want to I talk to you about certain goal setting or being a better leader or I want to prod you on, on how the team is in the locker room. What is the actual? Because that's the real culture is what they're doing when you're not around how they're talking about the team, how they're talking about each other. That's the real culture, you know, and it's, it's diving into that and being the example, you know, having your staff work extremely hard and be on point with everything and attention to detail and the sense of urgency that you want out of them as well to be the example. Um, and, you know, and then spending time with the kids. I think that's, that's another huge part of culture as well, right? We, we all, everyone wants a great culture where all these kids love each other and they want to work hard. And then, Coaches don't want to spend a lick of time with nobody. I've seen it everywhere I've been. Like, you know, like they're like, hey, you know what? Like, yeah, I don't understand this kid's this kid's deal. Like, have you talked to him? Because I know what his deal is. He comes to my office every day for about 15, 20 minutes and tells me, you know, like, like just talk to the kid. Yeah. Because you, know? you never know what anyone's going through. Everyone's on their own journey. I mean, we all we all have stuff going on in our lives, man. And it might just take a 10-minute conversation to figure out, hey man, this kid really got something going on, you know, and maybe this conversation could turn around and make this kid better in this specific situation. Okay, coach. Now, the next thing is, and and last two should be pretty quick, but this one, I mean, you might be able to get really detailed with as well. Um, For just general advice for high school head head coaches, strength and conditioning coaches, I think things, I mean, you can take this any direction you want, but just general advice on to them about strength and conditioning, speed and agility, acceleration, deceleration, you can take it wherever you want, but what is some general advice for some high school coaches who are working with student athletes? I think understand, first thing they have to do is understand the technique of what they're trying to teach. 
and that's that's got to be the biggest thing. And if you, and, and listen, I'm not here to judge anybody because I've been I've been at that point in my career where again I you know I wasn't very strong in teaching maximum velocity or acceleration all these different things. Okay, but you have to understand what you're good at and what you're bad at. All right, and if you can't teach it, don't teach it. Don't put it in the play. If you can't execute it, don't put it in the play. Right? Like that's like, hey, we're gonna run four wide, and then you have a team full of fullbacks. Like <laughs> it just it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like know who you are, know what you can do. Now, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean don't seek out education because I think in this day and age that if you don't know something and you want to know something, you can find out about it very quickly. And you can get to the source and you can learn and teach it. So I think that's the first thing is if you're going to do something, be very good at teaching. I think simple is better in high school. Simple is better. Okay. Yeah. I look at it all the time and, you know, you get too fancy, you lose perspective on what you're really trying to do. Yeah. You know, if you're trying to spread, spread, you know, I, I, I do it all the time. I'm like, you know, we're going to, you know, what we're going to do today for the, for half our workout, uh, our acceleration work, we're going to race. We're going to line up all our skills, our mids and our bigs on the, on the goal line. They're going to run 20 yards. We're going to film it. We're going to call out winners and losers. We're going to have fun. We're going to bet about it. All that good stuff. Not money, though, because that's NCAA violation, right? <laughs> no. But, you know, we're going to have fun with it, you know. But that's something simple that gets the job done for what I, the theme of the workout is. And I think that's the next thing is, is create clarity in what you're trying to train throughout the week. Have a purpose in what you're doing. Have a purpose. If today's a speed day, make it a speed day. If today's a, like high school, you I know you guys can do like more seven on seven and those things. If today's an instructional day or a seven on seven day, make sure it is that. Okay, make sure it's that. Have clear objectives and what you want to do day in and day out and plan ahead. It doesn't need to be seven months ahead, but plan ahead. Don't just show up to the facility, grab a notepad out and write down what you want to do that day. Okay, plan ahead, plan ahead. And I think anyone that does that, you know, that really that cares about the kids, invest in their kids, I think they'll have a successful program. Um, my, my next, my, one of my last two questions is, what motivated you to start posting workouts and stuff on Twitter? I, I think that, because I think that's, one, it's created some debate, but those, that's what, that is what it is. But I think what it's given a lot of us is, a resource, okay, for new ideas. Like, I mean, you brought racing. Like, I thought, I, like that. I've I've seen, heard you speak about it once before, and then I've seen a lot of the racing stuff you've been doing lately, and it's kind of oh, okay. That makes sense on why you add that to, to speed days. It, may, it makes makes one hundred percent sense. You're going you're going full speed. It's it's a motivational. Like it's competitive. Fantastic. What was your kind of motivation by behind adding stuff to Twitter and and shooting out a lot of what you're doing on speed? conditioning days, et cetera. So it, it's changed. So my initial one was, is I was working with pro day athletes at Ole Miss. We're doing a bunch of speed stuff. And, you know, I'll be very, very keen with you. I was, I was in the hunt for a head straight job. Yeah. And nowadays, and you know, this is just like, I know this is, I mean, your resume is your Twitter, and your Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to put out uh, material that people would want to see and want to look at and, garner some interest from head coaches, you know, and what ended up happening was, and what really changed it was, is I got hit up by a whole bunch of coaches that started a whole bunch of dialogue that 
has been awesome and, and really helped me grow as a coach as well. You know, and when a coach hits you up and asks you why you're doing something and challenges your philosophy, it's a, it's a, like a lot of people get sensitive and, and, and defensive. I think it's awesome because it's an opportunity to strengthen your own belief yeah. or change it for the better. You know, it starts dialogue, it starts conversation, it starts uh, a new, it opens up a new network where you might not have thought you can get information from or open up opportunities for you that you might not have known that you could have. And, you know, the more I've done it, the more I've had high school coaches reach out to me and thank me and say, man, I appreciate you putting this out and doing that. And again, if, if, am I, if I'm in that servant leadership mode, like I look at it, my high school coaches did a hell of a job training us in high school, but they had no idea what they were doing. Yeah. But they, they, they did it. They believed in it, but they had no idea what they were doing. I look at it like if they knew what they were doing, if they had resources they could have went to to get better training, that would have made me a better player. And, and that's what it's all about. It's helping people, right? Like I want to help people. So I tell that's why I put that post out about high school coaches. Like we're always open for any high school coach to come observe our workouts at any point in time, just text me. Like I want coaches to see how our college athletes train. And then I want them to come up with questions for me to help them in their specific situations and scenarios. So posting has just opened up a lot more dialogue. It's opened up a ton. And then it's opened up opportunities like this to talk on your podcast and to have Tony Holler call me. And I was able to speak at TFC twice. And, you know, I spoke at the XPE clinic the other day and it's just, it's opened up opportunities to, to kind of put my stuff out there, what we do, and have it be challenged and have it be reinforced and have people, um, you know, a lot of people like it. Some people don't, you know, I, you know, it's just fun. I think it's just a way, a way to connect with people as well. You know, just don't put up a, don't put a, tro- a picture of a trophy in a garbage up. You know, I did that one time. <laughs> oh, I'm stuck for that one. <laughs> And then my last question is, because you've mentioned a couple books and a couple other things as we've kind of gone through this. And it got me thinking, especially for like high school coaches, but you can you can direct it towards anybody. Do you have any, okay, here's stuff I recommend you read or you look at. Like, obviously, I know you write some blogs I, I, and articles. I've read those that like you and Tony do for um, the track and um, the, the fat. Oh, God, I can't remember what the, it's called right now. That Thank, you. Thank you. Um, but besides that, outside of your own stuff, is there any like book recommendations or other recommendations you have for people to kind of look at? Yeah. Uh, first off, all my stuff is just regurgitated from what I read. So yeah, again, I got to give credit where credit's due. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a borrower from everybody. So when you read my things, you're reading from like 15 other people. So it's just how I, how, it's my, my view of it, my, my lens of it, how I interpret it, right? I think for high school coaches, a great book would be Starting Strength by Mark Ripto, right? It, it gives very, very simplistic progressions on how to, how to plan training, uh, how to classify athletes. It's, to me, it's, a, it's an easy read as well. It's not, it's not overly science. It breaks down a lot of things in, in simple ways, which I think, Early in my career, it helped me out tremendously when I was trying to try to understand and conceptualize how to plan training. Um, I would say another great book is uh, Comprehensive Strength and Conditioning by Paul Gamble. Okay, because he goes, you pick a topic, agility, speed, change of direction, plyometrics, recovery, mobility, 
he is just so thorough. And it's, again, just gives such great examples of and templates for how to, how to, how to process that and, and, and apply it. So that was another fantastic book. And then I think any, if you read and can find any Charlie Francis work, okay, any Charlie Francis work, he was decades ahead of his, his era. I'm talking about decades. And his stuff, like was, I know he has forms. I know Derek Hansen, who does a fantastic job. He, he worked for, for Coach Francis for a long time. I was actually an athlete. And he puts out a lot of great stuff now as well. But if you could find those old forums and some of those old books that he has, I mean, they're fantastic resources, just unbelievable resources because it's, he talks a lot about in those forums, specifically football and how to integrate a high low model in the football and talks about football practices and those different things. I think those right there, that's, that would, if you hit those three, that, that would be an unbelievable jumpstart to your, your education process. Okay. Well, coaches, um, one, give coach, his Twitter will be in the bio. Please give him a follow. Um, and you can see pretty much anything and everything else he does um, through there. Um, he's got his link tree on there as, on his Twitter profile as well. So there's anything specifically, uh, which I know has a bunch of podcasts on there that he's also been on, articles he's written, um, stuff through TFC, interview. There's all kinds of stuff on his link tree that I've kind of delved down into prep for today. Um, Make sure you like, share, subscribe, all that lovely jazz. Check out the sponsor links below, all that lovely jazz. Um, and then thank you for listening to another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast.